for a roll call. A roll call after calling the order at 6.33 p.m. So far, uh, I've got uh, Vice Chair Gabby. Here. Commissioner Jonathan. Here. Commissioner Jenkins. Who communicated they will be late uh, on their way. Commissioner Chloe. Here. Commissioner Sri. Here. Commissioner Christian. Here. Commissioner Gildas. Here. Uh, for staff, uh, Lynn. Jen. Here. Annie. Here. Reggie. Here. And Amanda. Okay, for the light acknowledgement, uh, Gabby will read the light acknowledgement for us this evening. Oh my gosh, I'm not ready. I got it in the chat for you. It'll be a couple seconds. Thank you so much. Thank no you problem. very much. I feel like uh, this is the Human Services Commissioner uh, nightmare when you've been tired of this, or you will be chairing the meeting tonight and uh, it's your first time or something like that. So these are the two scenarios. Thank you. Um, I'm going to read it. We acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Salish people, the Duwamish, Mukashut, Pulalup, Squaquamish, Snohomish, Squamish, and Tulalip tribes, and other tribes of the Puyun Sound Salish people. And the present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional line of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights to continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. Who would like to read the land acknowledgement for the February meeting? Thank you, Gabby. I can do it. Thank you, Sri. Do we have a motion to approve the November 24th, 2023 meeting minutes? Motion All motion. Okay, second. Okay, sounds good. So we got a motion from Gabby and then a second from Christian. Uh, all those approve, uh, give a thumbs up or say yes. 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 All those opposed? Say no or thumbs down. Okay, didn't see anyone. Anyone abstaining? Uh, I'll abstain. Jonathan. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Okay, minutes from the November 24th, 2023 meeting have been approved. So, Reggie, do we have any guests in the room? Uh, we do not. Gotcha. Next up, we have a special presentation tonight from a regional coalition for housing or ARCH. I'm going to pass it to Jen Boone, Human Services Manager, to introduce the presenters. Uh, Christian, could you put yourself on mute?
I was doing that earlier, by the way. Yeah, sorry. I should oh, not no take notes. Yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> whilst on mute. <laughs> hey, Commissioners, good to see everyone. I'm delighted to introduce Arches Housing Trust Fund Program Manager, Elsa King. She's here with us tonight to talk a little bit about the work that they do here on the East Side. The Commission had said ahead of the grant application process, they were interested in learning more about what is happening in regards to affordable housing efforts um, here on the east side. So Elsa is the perfect person to come and talk to us about that. So I'm gonna pass the floor over to her. Thank you, Elsa. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm Elsa Kings, the Housing Trust Fund Manager um, here at ARCH. Uh, I do have a slide deck presentation. Should I email it? I, I apologize for not taking care of this in addition earlier. Should I email to um, you someone should, to, or I you should be able to share your screen, share my screen. Great, perfect. Okay, go thank ahead and you. try. If not, we can always do it on the stop yeah. I have my my cats are just uh, very extra needy today. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, Elsa King's Housing Trust Fund Manager at Arch. Um, Jen has invited me, graciously invited me to give um, a high level um, overview of Arch and some of the work that we do. Uh, a little bit about what uh, I'm going to be talking about today. Have a, a you know, just a, like, like I said, a high level presentation. Um, Arch, Regional Coalition for Housing. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what we do. Uh, some of our uh, programs, including our um, housing trust fund uh, and local incentives program, as well as our rental and home ownership programs outside of uh, that, that also provide housing units outside of the, the other different policy and other work that we do. So a regional uh, coalition for housing, ARCH, was created in, in 1992. 92, um, oh, so many years ago, 30 years ago, uh, we have uh, successfully via an interlocal um, created very, various programs of work. Uh, uh, some of the programs and some of the some of the initiatives that we try to uh, guide as uh, housing policy, really what we try to accomplish is through our um, collaboration and our ex uh, expertise uh, we try to share information within all of our member cities. Um, we have 15 member, member cities in our uh, sphere of influence. Um, and within those cities, we like to, what we what strive to do is share our expertise, share experience and policies that other, and initiatives that other cities might be working uh, on and learn from each other as well as um, to provide additional information and to collectively come together, come together uh, with policy goals and agendas that we can move forward both legislatively and uh, on a on a local uh, basis or a more a more um, local targeted approach. Uh, we also invest um, some of your dollars um, into housing into the creation of housing units through our housing trust fund um, and those. Uh, housing dollars are leveraged significantly with other sources, including federal, federal sources, as well as the state of Washington. Uh, and then we also provide um, additional incentives uh, in that, uh, that uh, utilize programs 
within the various cities to, again, create affordable housing. Um, another piece of, of programming that we uh, provide uh, that is um, engagement with the community. We have um, informational sessions on uh, affordi affordable housing um, 101 presentation is always really successful in the community. Uh, we try to engage community members uh, just to talk about the various issues uh, within the, the housing community, uh, as well as we create more targeted approach. Um, we, we we try to create a list of an end, an end update, and we have a list of our various different affordable housing units uh, that are available to the public and uh, engage in, with the public on uh, the coordination and how the, and, there are, and how uh, we can get them to housing and provide additional information on that. Um, we have been incredibly successful in our uh, 30 years. Uh, we have, uh, but most of our most of our uh, creation of affordable housing units comes through our um, housing trust fund. Uh, we have been successful in creating over 6,000 units of affordable housing. Uh, you can see here, there's quite a few um, projects uh, uh, developments within the Kirkland, the city of Kirkland. We are very fortunate in that um, we have uh, been part of the conversations with other public funders and other uh, jurisdictions that also have the same goals and priorities to create affordable housing. Usually, um, with for every dollar that we invest into a property, it is leveraged uh, with an, 10 additional uh, dollars of other sources. This year, we have been successful through um, the um, through various new programs that have been created um, to leverage that investment uh, about the for me, approximately fifty dollars. So. Um, most of our leverage comes from the low-income housing tax credits uh, on a federal uh, level, uh, but we do utilize the, the state housing trust fund as well as um, uh, some funding from King County. Another very successful program is uh, incentive inclusionary programs, uh, which uh, we have been successful in creating 2,700 units in uh, our region. The, the 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 one I think very important piece about the incentive and inclusionary program is that that is a, a program that can be um, utilized in conjunction with a market rate product, uh, and it's uh, proven to be success, very, incredibly successful for those cities as of as yourselves that do have a, a mandatory inclusionary uh, program. A little bit about affordable housing and what is affordable housing. So, uh, on a on a on a global standard metric, we uh, a, a person that is paying more than thirty percent of their gross income towards rent is um, is is cost burdened. It's and anyone paying more than fifty percent of their gross income is a severely cost burdened. So um, we strive to, uh, within our affordable housing units, to make sure that with that through our income restrictions, we provide tenants 
the ability to pay and through subs subsidies, rental subsidies and various other sources, the ability to not have to um, be cost burdened or rent burned in, in properties. A little bit about area median income and uh, what it means uh, but as, as, as uh, you know, in the, um, the, the HUD puts out a area median income uh, limits uh, on an annual basis. You usually, you might have heard uh, them referred to as AMIs. Uh, for the local um, King County, Puget Sound area, uh, 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 most of our properties are in the 50% uh, percentile. Uh, so for a person of uh, for a one-person household, that's someone uh, making approximately forty, or uh, uh, with an annual income of approximately uh, forty-seven thousand. Most of our rental income, uh, or our subsidized units, uh, are in this thirty percent tile um, income bracket, and that's uh, because we are able to subsidize a large portion of the tenants' rents uh, via. Of uh, Section 8 vouchers or other uh, subsidy, rental subsidies. Just a, a little bit more on what is uh, the, the effect of, of, of the area median income and what does that look like in um, terms of our community. So in the Seattle, Tacoma, uh, Bellevue metro area, most of uh, our tenants are in uh, the, are at 50% or below of the area median income. Uh, I, I, I'm, this, this chart really speaks for itself. Um, a lot of our residents, a lot of our members of our community that are cost burdened are, um, are persons that are living um, on minimum wage annual income and in general, just uh, persons within our community. Arch keeps uh, a list, a running, a running log of residents and, and members in our community that have um, approached Arch for uh, it, it with interest in in our housing units. Most of those rents, uh, residents seeking affordable housing, um, are in the sixty percent. Uh, excuse me, are uh, on an annual basis about uh, sixty thousand. Uh, they are uh, families uh, and um, we have in the the need in our area has has increased we have seen quite a bit of increase in 2022 um, our the the household number of households on our list um, seeking housing was approximately 7,000 that that number has changed um, as of uh, as of uh, last year, of course, that's been increased. In, but as of uh, at the end of uh, 2022, we had about uh, 10,000 uh, active households uh, looking for housing, and have uh, and uh, a lot of those residents seeking housing are living in market rent apartments, and most of them, a significant portion of them, are rent burdened. In uh, our, uh, some of the residents that are seeking assistance or seeking information from ARCH um, are, don't, really do not have a preference of where they prefer to live. Most of them are just uh, seeking affordable housing. 
within the area. Uh, Kirkland, Redmond, Bellevue, and Issaquah are among the top the top cities in which residents would uh, like to find affordable housing. So this just shows a significant need in the area. One of our uh, very successful uh, programs is our home ownership programs. Uh, we do have several communities in uh, the, in, in uh, Kirkland, uh, including uh, in Totem Lake, Juanita, Rose Hill. Uh, most of our single, fam single family uh, home ownership uh, units are single family. We do have um, uh, some condominiums and uh, duplex and townhomes. Uh, all of these affordable housing units are restricted, mostly at uh, fifty percent, mostly at eighty percent and AMI. Uh, but we do have ranges from from fifty percent AMI to one hundred and twenty percent AMI. Our affordable housing, excuse me, our home ownership program is extremely successful um, in that it is uh, it, it creates generational wealth. For the residents in our community, we um, highly value and, and uh, really want to continue to grow uh, this part of our program. We um, collaborate with several organizations in the area, excuse me, for these homeownership units. And um, some of our residents do uh, benefit from uh, down payment assistance. Little bit uh, about our uh, housing trust fund. So our housing trust fund has um, been successful in creating uh, approximately 6,000 uh, units of affordable housing since its inception. Most of those units are at uh, at our 50% AMI. We are successful in partnership with other jurisdictions and uh, the, the King County Housing Authority um, in, in the, our ability to provide extremely low income residents homes at 30%, rental homes at 30% AMI, again, via those um, some of the project-based vouchers as well as uh, tenant-based vouchers. But most of our units uh, are uh, in this 50% to 60% area median income. At the moment, we do have um, several communities uh, that are uh, in, in, in the process of seeking ARCH funding. Our projects vary uh, anywhere from uh, senior housing uh, to TOD uh, housing. We have, we have invested in manufacturing um, housing communities. Uh, our product, our, our housing trust fund, Product is uh, extremely uh, successful in the creation of long-term affordable housing units, um, as it does require a 50-year covenant. So it does require a long-term sustainability of that affordability. These are some of the projects that are currently under construction in uh, Kirkland. The Kirkland Heights project was uh, funded last year through our housing trust fund. Uh, we invested about 1.5 million. Um, into the project. Uh, it is a preservation of a large property um, with, the, with the idea uh, that the, the property could support additional units uh, and a total for a total creation of 260, excuse me, 276 units. Most of the units on this, uh, pro at, at this project will be serving uh, families 
uh, with the via the two and three bedroom large units. This is one of those properties that significantly um, benefits from those project based vouchers. It does have a significant number of uh, thirty percent AMR. This, uh, it, this it's this property is currently under construction. It's a it's a long term phase project, uh, so it will uh, it started construction uh, beginning of end of last beginning of 2023 and it is expected to continue through mid 2024. Another really amazing project in the Kirkland area is the Ardea at Totem Lake project. We successfully closed on the financing of this project uh, in December. We were able to um, leverage our housing trust fund investment of uh, 1.4 million with housing tax credits uh, as well as an uh, investment from King County. This project serves veterans um, and uh, veterans and seniors at uh, 40, 15, 60 percent AMI. So it's a very uh, high, highly uh, dense project. Uh, it's a, a, a partnership with, between TWG and Dimension Housing. Excuse me. Uh, most of the investments for our housing trust fund come from uh, general uh, general contributions from our member cities. Uh, as you can see here, uh, 2022 and um, 2023, it's not on this chart, but most of the uh, generous contributions are from general uh, funds, which is, are extremely important um, since this fund, that funding is less restrictive. Uh, we're able to finance projects that are, and leverage our investments with projects that um, might be able to benefit a wider range of residents. This is another, um, some um, other really um, amaz amazing partnerships uh, via the inclusionary program, which I'll go into here shortly. A little bit about the local incentive and inclusionary program. So as you know, uh, Kirkland's uh, mandatory, it, it has a mandatory inclusionary program and um, it has been extremely su uh, successful. Uh, there, uh, there are restrictions for the program are approximately are eight or 12 years. And the affordability is 50 years. This program has been extremely successful um, with the creation of units, both in uh, Kirkland, but also throughout all of our member cities. So as you see here, um, in uh, currently the, the program has created uh, 30 projects, 72% of these are from the mandatory um, program. The in red, you can see the, the, the units that are renters, that are rental units and for renter occupied. And in the blue, you can see the home uh, ownership units in the area. Other special, pro other initiatives that we are working on, um, we uh, on many occasions partner with other jurisdictions as well as uh, with Sound Transit on activity projects. These projects um, are usually uh, through a highly discounted transfer of property from Sound Transit through uh, to a nonprofit organization for the creation of affordable housing. Our newest um, project is in uh, over in, in Overlake, 
uh, and in partnership with Sound Transit as well as the, the city of Redmond. Usually these uh, projects are extremely successful uh, because of their, its deep, deep, deeply discounted value on the land and sometimes uh, so uh, deeply discounted that the benefit is actually uh, free to the, to the developer. Uh, this allows us for uh, this allows for us to be able to model those deeply affordable thirty percent units that otherwise would not be possible. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, Elsa. Uh, anyone has a question, please go ahead. Raise your hand for Elsa, and Elsa can call on you. Yeah, um, so uh, he goes by Sri. Sri, you got a question for Elsa? Yeah, I do. Hi, Elsa. Thanks for that uh, information about Arch. Um, I just wanted to kind of get a sense for, you know, if you were to look forward, I don't know, next five years, 10 years, the rate at which affordable housing would be built out versus the need, what would you say that looks like? You know, and what do you, you know, I'm assuming it's not going to look very good based on everything that I've read. So the question then is, what do you need to make it better? Sure, thank you for that question. A question that's um, a, a very good question and something that Arch has been, uh, Arch staff has significantly um, really uh, tried to understand uh, via the data collected. We know that 50%, uh, uh, approximately 50% of the residents in our area are rent burdened. And so how, how do we help them? I think, um, in terms of uh, ideas of how we can help, I think additional resources for some of our programs like the Housing Trust Fund and our Home Ownership Program uh, would be helpful. We do know from, from our um, annual funding round that the need is, is significantly. Last year, our um, funding round uh, showed a need of approximately 2,000 units that could be created had we had all of the funding available for those projects. The total amount of funding requested was approximately $3 million, and um, our funding availability was, was $4 million. We were not able to fully fund all of our projects. Um, again, uh, due to uh, insufficient and oversubscription of our funds, um, and so um, we were able to fund the full availability of $4 million for a creation of 870 units. Uh, again, the need was, uh, the, the need was uh, significantly more than the actual funding availability. Thank you. So uh, we got a question from Gildas. Hi, Elsa. Th thank you so much for your presentation tonight. Um, my question um, is, is on, are there any unique challenges on, on building capacity or supply side for the 30 and 50% AMI versus, you know, the 80 and 100 AMI? From what I could gather in the presentation, I may be wrong and seeking clarification is that 
or the 30 and 50%, you need a lot more right conditions to build like an example that you're working with sound transit and they're essentially giving it to you at a very advantageous rates. Are those like, are those some of the components that, that, that Arch will need to kind of build more supply on the 30, 50% versus kind of the higher end on the spectrum? Sure, absolutely. That's a wonderful question. Um, there are various, um, different uh, data and, and data points that we utilize for the, to analyze the feasibility of 30% AMI units. 30% AMI units um, are extremely hard to build, not only because of, the, as you mentioned, the, the, the availability of land at a deeply discounted rate, but also the ability to subsidize the rental the, the rental amounts for these tenants. Sometimes these tenants are in um, a bracket where they are in uh, extremely low incomes, possibly no income, fixed income, seniors with fixed income, or uh, sometimes uh, persons with a developmental and intellectual disability with minimal income. So uh, one of the components that is successful for the creation of these uh, units is, yes, uh, properties at a very uh, discounted rate. Um, also, uh, a jurisdiction that is um, that is willing and able to commit to the community engagement piece of the work. Um, a lot of these units are geared towards um, house, houseless individuals. Um, and so the community engagement piece is extremely important, as well as the, um, as you know, services um, with a lot of it, these individuals uh, do require uh, wraparound services and the ability to be able to fund uh, the operation of the units as well as the services is, is crucial. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, I think to answer your question, several factors um, that uh, play into the creation of these units, ability of uh, the ability of, of funding sources, uh, both uh, operations as well as capital, the ability of rental subsidies, uh, the the availability of a community to uh, to to host these projects as well as a community engagement, and of course, the, the leverage from other resources, um, including our uh, federal uh, tax, 9% tax credit program, which is incredibly oversubscribed at the moment. Great, thank you. I, I think I see a hand from Chloe. Yeah, um, thank you so much for the presentation. I just had a quick question. Um, so I think I've I've read like in the news, like in the past, there have been instances of how like Arch's properties have been um, like misused or like have been lost due to foreclosures. And I'm wondering if like there are um, since then, have there been any like new regulations that have been put to, into place um, to ensure that like that doesn't happen again and um, Arch's properties stay like within the communities? Sure, absolutely. I, I, I believe the the, the um, instance that you were referring to was possibly before my time. I do, and, and um, I would have to get back to you on the the specifics of that. That's definitely um a, a different program than the housing trust fund that I manage. But I do know uh, that there have been several conversations about 
the continuation of the preservation of these units, specifically the home ownership units, because uh, for the point that you just mentioned, um, they are significantly impactful uh, for the residents. Um, in terms of uh, the preservation of our, of our rental units, um, we do, uh, in partnership with, the, with other public funders, we do um, annually, on an annual basis, uh, via our compliance uh, staff, make sure that the properties are within the standards uh, that we like to see um, the, uh, in the living conditions that we like to um, to that that we expect for our residents. Thank you. We got a hand from Gabby. Thank you, Elsa. Thank you very much for the wonderful presentation. Uh, I I am very excited to hear about uh, uh, the the project that you mentioned that is going to come here to Ten Lake. I think uh, Ardea. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not sure if I got the name they correctly. Yes. Uh, um, what, what would you need from, from the city of Kirkland to have more projects like that going on? Because uh, as, as, as everybody has mentioned, I think, and it's not news that uh, demand surpasses the supply for, uh, for housing all over, right? And especially yeah. for for uh, affordable housing, and I am very happy. And actually, I was in the other project that you mentioned previous to that one, the Heights. Thing. Yeah, Kirkland Heights. And I saw the construction and the buildings built, built, built there. So uh, for me, that was a very creative solution of maybe having a um, piece of land that already belongs to that project, right? And 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 building up extra capacity for additional units there. So do you think there could be other creative solutions or uh, suggestions that you are having your pipeline? Uh, I, I don't know, to make it a little bit more easy or easier to provide affordable housing for our city residents because a lot of people are getting displaced, especially low-income families. Uh, I think that, that, of course, the easy question to that is always additional resources for the creation of affordable housing. Uh, but I also think that um, for local jurisdictions that are seeking to create affordable housing within their communities, it's um, I, I, it, it's one, one of the tools that a jurisdiction could look into and look at is um, city owned or property um, that could easily be uh, transferred um, or even leased uh, that we have seen at various lease structures that have been highly successful uh, to nonprofit organizations specifically for the, the creation of affordable housing. I think that's uh, extremely helpful. Uh, your city has done an amazing job uh, and you're working on your consolidated plan and making sure that um, housing is a priority for your uh, city. So that's always uh, extremely important. And of course, um, resources uh, for the reinvestment into affordable housing and um, a, a potential additional um, incentives that could um, that could aid in that creation is always helpful. To me, um, I always feel like it starts with the land. 
um, and it's it's so it city owned um, properties surplus properties. Um, there is a lot of there's a, a an initiative at the moment with uh, faith based communities in partnership with faith faith based communities. Um, so I think uh, all of those tools will be helpful for the future creation of housing, and um, I think collaboration is extremely important within uh, our jurisdiction as well as within our regional area. Thank you. I don't see any more hands. Oh, I do. Hey, I, Jonathan. I, hi, hi, Jonathan. Hi, sorry, I'm driving, I apologize. Um, but I wanted to ask, so first of all, it just sounds like the organization is thriving and it's so exciting to hear the progress and the good work you're doing. Um, I've been aware of ARCH since the inception back in 92. And so it's just really exciting to hear the progress you've made. Um, I'd love to hear more about, um, like I know, like as, as Chloe mentioned, you've overcome some adversity um, that was you know, quite public. But it sounds like you know, you've gotten through that, and the organization's really thriving. What what do you attribute that to? What you're, like, what 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 what's going well for you? And, and I'd love to learn more about you, your background, how you got into the position you're in. It sounds like you're you're really um, taking very good care of the organization. Thank you. Um, I that's um, I feel like leadership in any organization is extremely helpful. Um, our executive director, um, Lindsay, uh, it. She is extremely valuable to the organization. I and I do. I think on a personal level, do attribute some of the, most of the success uh, within Arch to her leadership. Uh, also, her ability to retain and recruit very talented staff. Um, and uh, I, I feel like that is one of the of the pieces. But the most important piece is our member cities' willingness and continued participation and continued coordination within and, and their their willingness to share um, their efforts within their jurisdiction with, with others in our member cities. I think the, the communication is extremely important and I do feel like um, in the that, that has really aided in our ability to be successful and bringing um, other uh, other cities along. Uh, I do have to say that on the in the south uh, Puget Sound area um, there was, uh, there has been a skip this, uh, a program that has created mimicking Arch, um, and they've they've been incredibly successful. Uh, I believe that this is their second year. Um, really, it's it's a program. Our a program is a is a or is something that can be organization is a is something that can be replicated and and advanced um, for the benefit of the community. Uh, in in terms of my background. I have been in uh, affordable housing uh, for 17 years. Um, I am a uh, I am a, a, a reformed housing developer. I, I did create affordable housing in a in a previous life, and that's where um, some of my expertise comes into uh, play. Previous to Arch, um, I was uh, uh, I, I was um, at the city of Seattle for approximately seven years and uh lindsay recruited me from the city uh, i've been with arch for approximately three years well thank you gonna, yeah thank you we're gonna go with one more question thank you jonathan 
We're going to go with one more question, and that will be Sri. Hi, I just had a follow-on question. I mean, Elsa, you mentioned wraparound services and how important they are, especially for the 30 to 50% AMI. And this is going to be also part question for the staff, which is, so my understanding is that, you know, the funding for the building of the housing and the, you know, the trust fund and all comes from the city general funds, like you said. Um, I am just trying to get a sense for, so as human services, one of the areas that we could do, things we do to support that is to provide funding for wraparound services for to support this housing. And I was curious if Arch already manages the wraparound housing, or is that usually something that a different organization does as part of these housing? So I was just kind of trying to get a sense for how to how these pieces come together. Sure. We have um we we uh, our projects collaborate the owners of the project, the developers of our housing projects, collaborate with several different organizations uh, within our area to provide the services, depending on um, the needs of the residents and the residents that the, the building, the projects would be serving. We have, um, it, we have created a, a program and we have been successful in uh, the creation of programs within jurisdictions that are seeking to provide um, service funding um, through uh, in, in our uh, member cities, one of which is uh, Bellevue. Bellevue through their 1590 um, tax taxes um, created a fund that will would um, be utilized for those uh, units at 30% AMI. Um, for a very specific population of, of residents, the, the program will provide capital, is providing capital for uh, the capitalization, the construction and the creation of units, as well as the operation of uh, the, the units. And um, it is does have the ability to fund these services. I can add on to that briefly. So one example that this body might be familiar with is Imagine Housing. So they're a developer as well as they provide services. So they could apply for funding through ARCH and be competitive there. And then this body, as part of the grant recommendations process, would allocate funding for those wraparound services that you were asking about. So I also want to remind this group as well that part of our CDBG process, which is the Community Development Block Grant Funding, that we look at in the fall of each year, part of that allocation is the capital investment from the city that goes to ARCH each year. Um, and the city has made it a commitment that those funds will continue to go to ARCH. So that is one small aspect um, in how this body supports some of the funding that goes from the city to ARCH. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Jonathan, did you have a quick uh... Quick thought, we just see your hand up. It was from earlier, sorry. Okay, no, no, no worries. Okay, Elsa, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You're welcome to stay if you'd like, but if you'd like to go on with your night, feel free to head out. Thank, thank you so you. much for having me. I sincerely appreciate um, telling you about our organization. Thank you. Thanks for being here.
So next up, we have a couple of business items, and I'm going to be handing it off to our staff to be opening up the discussion before we open up the discussion. All right. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. So G please bear with me. I am technically challenged, and I'm trying to figure out how to share a screen. So... I think we're, I think we're doing it. Let's see. From a little screeny thing down here. How's that looking? I think I'm going the wrong direction. All right. All right. So um, I'm going to share with you a few slides before we go into our funding priorities conversation. want to leave um, a, a significant amount of time for you all to have conversation um, about sending those um, priorities tonight. Um, there's a few things I want to share with you moving into that discussion. So um, identified priorities from uh, uh, related to funding for 2023-2024. Um, I sent a lot of information in the packet um, that included uh, the recommendations set to council um, that was, and, and here are the priorities um, that you all had identified um, in 2022 conversations. So I'm not gonna go through each of these, um, but these are some of the things you might wanna consider as you are having conversation tonight. This is really, I mean, I'm really excited about this conversation because I think this is this is really one of the meaty parts of this process where you get to decide collectively um, how you move forward in those discussions and what items, what things are happening um, in your community that you're seeing. You had all of these organizations last year come and speak to you all and share what they're seeing um, in, the, in, the, um, in the community and with the folks that they're providing services for in Kirkland. So here also is um, this commission prioritized the following areas of investment. Uh, and this was done on the August 10th, 2022 meeting. So um, priority area one, emergency homelessness services that include, included eviction prevention, emergency financial assistance, priority area two, behavioral health services. And this includes food and essential supplies. Priority area three, um, this is fostering well-being and culturally competent um, services. I have that highlighted just because um, if you know me, I'm challenged by the culturally competent phrase. But really, this is looking at um, programming that is specifically um, understanding the nuanced needs, whether it be linguistically or, or you know, the broader cultural needs for um, different populations within, within our greater community. So some of these um, services would include domestic violence and sexual assault services, homeless and housing services, and support for older adults and people with disabilities. Some of those programs that you heard about that are new and upcoming um, with India, uh, Indian American Community Services was their new DV program. Um, and I would say with Chinese Information Services Center, um, their Russian-speaking um, senior program would probably fall under that support for older adults and people with disabilities. So currently we're not funding either of those programs. 
Um, priority area four included employment and education services. Um, and part of that was the dental and medical services and services navigation. So as you move forward, those are, you know, this will probably change. You all get to decide that. But this is a great starting point for that conversation. So those who are new um, to this discussion can see kind of what that looked like for 2022 and, and what was set for those priorities and moving into our next cycle. This is also uh, a snapshot of our uh, dashboard and this kind of gives you an idea um, over the last three funding cycles um, with those goal areas listed um, over to the left, housing stability and food insecurity, supportive relationships within families, neighborhoods and communities. These, these five priorities are really taken from the United Way, kind of it's been considered like the, the gold standard of, of prioritizing um, and goal areas for um, this type of funding. So some of the things that you should consider um, tonight as you're having conversation, what's changed in our community since the 2022 conversation? Um, if anyone, folks are around, I know there are a few of you who were around uh, in the commission during the pandemic and post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, right? Understand that there was a huge shift back and forth, I think, during that time. And that's pretty normal. So those priorities that you had last year, you know, you might be seeing new things and, and you have a lot of information to support that from things that you've heard over the last year. Are there any emerging issues to be considered to um, for addition to this list? You get to decide how long the list is. I would I would caution against making it too long because we want to fund everything but really focus on those top areas um, that we can really make some um, huge impacts on. You might also wanna think about eliminating some of those areas. Maybe we're not seeing um, the programming coming in or, or maybe there's not the, the, as great a need, like vac vaccination, right, for COVID. Um, things like that aren't, aren't as in high demand um, now on the other side of, of the pandemic. Um, and so when you leave this meeting today, um, oh, sorry, I forgot one step. Are there any items that are a lower priority or no longer a priority in this funding cycle? So those things may stay on the list, but they kind of shift around. Um, so hopefully we'll be leaving this meeting and you all have, will have finalized a list of priorities for um, the upcoming review process. Uh, I added this because I think this is helpful. I know it's helped me in the past in participating in these conversations. And I think it's always good to have sort of some ground rules as you're moving into these conversations. I just wanted to highlight these items. Um, allow time for everyone to contribute as they feel comfortable. So being mindful of how much airtime you're taking up and also ask yourself, am I contributing to this conversation? Um, this is a collective process and um, you know we all need to participate for it to be um, really successful, right? And both of those can be challenging for the collective group. So you're not gonna agree every time 
and that's okay. I think, you know, just remembering we need to treat each other with respect and honor that we all come from different lived experience and understanding of the issues. So it may not align with what your values are, but we can learn from each other. There, you may be able to take something away and it may change the way that you have approached a certain idea in the past. And sometimes you need to put a pin in an item and move on. Um, these conversations are really, um, are really great conversations and we mean, need to keep it moving. Um, and, and you have this really great leader. You have a couple of really great leaders in Jory and Gabby. And, and they're really going to take um, that leadership position and moving you through these conversations. So um, just remember, we can't we can't stay on one. We can always come back and revisit it later, but sometimes we just need to put a, put a pin in it and move on. This is a collective process as much as possible. Please be open to making concessions and compromise as part of the process. Um, I, I think you will feel that you all get a, a kind of a sense of ownership in this process if you're able to do that. And then recognize your individual power and privilege in this space. And there's always room to grow and to learn. And with that, now it's it's all you. You all get to talk. Um, Jory's going to uh, take you through this conversation. And here's a cute um, disco ball cat, Reggie, for you. And uh, go. Actually, would it be possible if we can go back to the presentation to the previous priorities? Sure. You also have them in your packets if you mm. need to reference them. Um, but I will put that back up here in just a moment. Or we could just keep on the cat. I like the cat too. But you know, as we're getting up the presentation again, it's in your packet as well. Um, are there any needs that you did not see on the slide that you think have come up since the last cycle that we should address as a human services commission. There's the cat. Is that a question for all of us, Jory? So my video stopped working. I don't know why, but I'm not going to fiddle with it because something else will go wrong with Zoom. So I'm just going to let it be. Um, so I did have some, can I, I have some clarifying questions about what happened for the last cycle? Just looking through all the stuff. So maybe, so that's what I just thought I would kind of start with. Um, so I saw two things. I saw... Uh, priorities for the cycle. And then I saw the other thing, which was priority areas with a bunch of things underneath it. And I couldn't connect the two of them. Like there were some items on the priority thing that, you know, just a list that did not show up in the priority areas thing. Are they, uh, so I was just trying to understand what's the difference between those two things. If I am recalling it correctly and people can feel free to jump in, uh, we started targeting what needs to be done and taken care of first of what fits within that category. So I believe it was first, um, like making sure people have housing next up, people have food and 
then we would look at those applications first and with within those categories. And so we wouldn't go through uh, looking at uh, what I could see on the screen is we wouldn't talk about homeless services at the same time as um, like services for mental health on the same night. We would categorize the applications within the same group uh, for a given night. And that's how we did it last year. Okay, so I mean, the reason I'm asking is like, for example, um, there was a priority that said uh, invest in living wages for frontline workers, for example, that I couldn't map to anywhere here. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I'm just trying to kind of, there's some things here like food insecurity, I presume I can map it to something like food and essential supplies. I presume that's where food insecure, or maybe it falls into emergency homeless services. I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it falls into both buckets. But I was just well, I thought. I thought free. These were the priorities for 2023 to 2024, and the four right. priority areas showed previously are from the 2022 meeting. But that's for 2023, 2024. So in the 2022 meeting is when they decide for the make decisions of the cycle for 2023, 24. Right. Okay. So uh, Sri. Yeah. So here, hopefully this helps to clarify. So the identified priorities, that was part of the conversation. So to Drury's point, it was kind of like, here are the things that we really want to embed in this process and looking at the programming, right? So when you talk about invest in living wages for frontline workers, that's really kind of on the back end. So we're able to support programming um, on a more specific level. So, and I would say like a line item, right? So, um, someone has um, part of a program, we want to pay for, you know, X amount of staff, right? Um, so that's part of that. And, and that was one of the things that the group collectively wanted to invest in. We also had some outside um, one-time funding opportunities that, that we use some of our um, existing ARPA funds at the time um, to, to provide for that. But I think it was these are just areas that they talked about that they really wanted to look for in some of the programming. Because remember, this priority list is created and we don't have the applications yet. So we don't know what the programs are going to be, but they identified whatever programming comes up. This is part of those top items that we're going to say, yeah, this is what we want to fund. We really want to look at these. Do they all get funded? Not all the time. That program may be supporting a certain thing on the priority list, and it's just not a good fit, right? For whatever reason, collectively, the group decides not to. So anyway, I don't want to go on and, and go too too deep in that. This conversation, I think, to, to help move us forward really is about looking at some of these items and creating your own list. So, I mean, it's great to have this as a starting point, but you all, all are going to create your own list. Uh, and, I, and I, I hear what you're saying. I get that. What I'm confused about is I see this and I see the next slide that you showed, which is priority areas. And I'm thinking that these are both things that will guide our discussion. But when I see them not mapping, then it confuses me. Yeah, I think where the disconnect might be happening is so this list is really used to, as Annie said, be able to start to look at applications and say, okay, they prioritize this, so we're going to recommend higher level funding. So that's more on the back end area. How we report out to the broader community is that following slide. So 
the community goal areas that Annie talked about with United Way, we are asked to report how grants pan out within those categories. So those categories are preset. So these priorities will fit into those categories. We will continue to have those categories that are listed on the next slide. So if you look at our housing, or excuse me, our human services dashboard, you'll see the five goal areas. So you'll see housing and food, you'll see employment and education, you'll see um, community connectedness and you know services. So you'll see those five goal areas and these guide which programs fall within those areas. So I would focus more on this list and what you know to be true, what you've heard, what you've learned, and how you want to prioritize items. And I would worry less about the following slide because we are very early in the process right now. So we will have more clarification on that following list, but we want to focus on kind of what adjustments need to be made from this list. So I think, I think and something is being missed in translation here, and I think Zoom is challenging, but could you go to the next slide, Annie? Yes, yeah, so this one is not the goals area, mm -hmm. but this the previous one is priorities. This one says priority areas, which to me felt like you're making a bucket of the previous priorities on the previous slide, but they don't seem to map is all I was trying to say. So. So maybe priorities change. That was a starting point. And you know, the next the list of priorities by the time we go to August was this. And then you bucketed them into this list. If that's what's happening, then I get it. But I'm just saying, you know, that previous slide, which is the list of priorities, and this is, seems like a grouping of them, they're not matching. That's all I was trying to understand. Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying, Sri. I think we should move on though. Okay. Uh, back to the previous slide. So what are we trying to produce? We're just gonna go off the previous slide then. Is that what we should take? We'll we don't have to, that. but I'm suggesting we do, uh, just so that we don't have to start from scratch of what are the needs in the community and what are the priority of those needs. Using the list from before, we can... Right. I'm just trying to say the output is not this. The output is the previous slide. Yep. For today's yeah. meeting, the output is the previous slide. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Fine. Then, then, then we can let it go. Thank you for asking. Okay. So, Gabby? Uh, I don't know, and, and maybe um, the members of the commission that were here when we created these uh, list can help refresh my memory uh, for people to connect coming out of the pandemic. Um, I, I think I have an idea, but I would like to uh, hear from you what you understand by this. Is, is, is it something more um, uh, community building or I, I don't quite understand fully the extent of this priority. Yeah, so the I question is, I remember. The, the question is, uh, if anyone can clarify what we meant by creating opportunities for people to connect uh, coming out of the pandemic, the last item. Yes, if because I don't remember what we meant by that. So mm -hmm. when I try to identify it as a priority, uh, that I don't remember what exactly we meant by that. I, I read it and I still don't think of a of a program or something that I can relate it to. 
Mm -hmm. So Gabby, that's a great question. I think at the time what we were thinking about was folks were in, um, a lot of folks were in isolation um, in, in some of those most impacted um, were our older adults, um, youth. And so part of those programs that were providing opportunities. So I would say another, another example, I'm going to bring back the Russian speaking um, senior services, right? A program that provides that opportunity for people to con connect once again. So I would say maybe this is one of those items that you would say, hmm, is that still relevant? And is it relevant in the same way? Maybe that's something that we need to look at as maybe we eliminate that, but we find a different way of supporting those programs that do something similar, right? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say so. Uh, it's not that it's not important or that we are not going to be providing funding if we're already providing funding for those kind of activities. It's just, you know, maybe it would not, it would not be like in my top list maybe if I am, but I don't want to sound like it is not important. It is important. I think that's a good point, Gabby. And I, I also would challenge this group that you do have to honestly draw a harder line on some of these priorities, recognizing that a lot of the one-time funding that the city did have available during the pandemic will not be available. So this commission along with your neighboring commissions are going to be faced with even harder conversations because a lot of the cities are facing what's called a funding cliff so that one-time funding is not going to be available so my recommendation from the staff's perspective is actually having a more limited list of priorities because it will help guide the conversation when it gets to be more tough later in the year, right? In July and August, when we have a massive yes pile and we have to figure out where some of those are gonna go. So I think it's okay to think critically and recognize that it is important and it may not be as important as some of the other items that are on that list or items that may not even be on the list. So Jonathan and Gildas, I see your hands. Uh, one thought I have before we go to both of you is that we consider naming top three, top five priorities and see if we can agree on those. And with that, though, um, feel free to talk about making any can I talk. Say, or I can't raise my hand. Can I say something or can I just get in line? Yeah. So we're going to go Jonathan, Gildas, and then uh, Commissioner Jenkins. I go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so Jonathan, you're up. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, I think before we start talking about specific priorities, um, I think it'd be um, useful to talk about our approach to deciding priorities and what information we need in order to make good sound decisions about priorities. So for example, what are the inputs that we need to even consider priorities? For example, um, I know in the past we've looked at different needs assessments that have been done in the community um, to help us 
be informed about what the actual priorities are based upon assessments that have been done. Now, I know Kirkland doesn't have our own needs assessment, but we've leveraged that of Bellevue and been able to look at that because that's a good a good marker for us on a regional basis. Um, I believe Hopelink does a needs assessment, and um, and so that those are just two examples. But I think before we even get into a discussion about specific priorities, we should actually get smarter and more educated about what the community is telling us about what their needs are, and um, and then use obviously the staff's knowledge and everything we can gather to actually have a really informed conversation. So I would just suggest that we maybe step back before we have a conversation about exact priorities. Thank you. Jonathan, could not agree more that we need a needs assessment. Um, we have not been able to do one. So to Jonathan's point, we use HopeLink's needs assessment and that came out about two years ago. Um, which did help inform the previous list of priorities and the top area of needs is actually included um, in the issue paper, which I believe was linked in previous packets. So we can resend that out to the group. Um, I can also just list the top four priorities from that needs assessment in the group chat, but that is currently the tool that we use for data. It is not Kirkland specific but it is for the subregion in general, but we do not have a specific needs assessment, um, unlike some of our neighboring cities. And is Bellevue updated theirs? They are in the process of updating it, but they have not released their newest one yet. Okay. I would also add that we had a really kind of, a really great variety of folks who came to speak to you all and spent time with you over the last year. Um, and brought up a lot of emerging issues. Um, that was one of the, you're all, you all decided that that was a priority to bring in those smaller organizations to share what they were doing in the community. So I think pulling from that um, will be really helpful to this process as well. That was, that was one of the reasons why we were bringing those folks in um, to share what they were seeing. And so I think those were really helpful. Also, you know, if you need a refresher, we have all of those videos posted. Um, so um, more than happy to help you locate those if you have any specific ones you were thinking about. So, um, and we have, go ahead. I was just gonna say a follow-up question. Didn't um, a couple of three of the cities get together and do an assessment like Smamish and Issaquah and somebody else, I'm trying to remember. That ringing a bell. So Redmond completed the strategic plan, I believe, for human services a few years ago. Bellevue does their own. Ken Moore is in the process of doing a needs assessment for the first time. Um, I'll have to check on Sammamish and then Issaquah completed theirs, I believe, the end of last year. Could could you be talking maybe about the um, provider survey? Was that one of the tools that we shared or was that internal? There was a provider survey that um, we sent out. I don't know. And that's kind of where we came with this, like the living wage for frontline workers was part of that. Um, so that may be it. We'll have to go back and look. Thanks, you guys. So next up, we got Gildas, uh, Coach uh, Commissioner Jenkins, and then uh, Sri. Okay, um, 
Yeah, so I, I just wanted to comment on Jonathan's thought around, you know, the needs assessment. I think I think more data is always useful. And I think in the spirit of continuing the conversations tonight, um, I absolutely support uh, the idea of just kind of listing out what our initial thoughts are and priorities are. And then we can refine that once additional data comes in. I don't think we need to be stopped in the track tonight. So given that, um, I would say just looking at the presentations that we, we've had in 2023 and also um, things I've learned on the ground, you know, through, um, you know, through my activities, you know, I, I, I continue to hear, you know, there are um, certainly challenges in community members uh, that meeting their most basic needs, you know, around, you know, definitely hearing, you know, supplies and food insecurities, uh, and certainly, and always has been, at least, you know, for the duration that I've been on and here is, you know, um, um, affordable housing, um, addressing the homelessness or so emergency, you know, uh, emergency, you know, like that, homeless services, evictions, financial assistance, I think that continues to be kind of like very huge in my head. Um, and also from the ground, definitely been hearing, you know, the lack of behavioral, you know, uh, needs, uh, lack of behavioral capacity to meet our community needs. Certainly we heard it, you know, again, in some of the pre presentation um, last year, uh, but also, but also um, I've been hearing it, you know, just, just in terms of, you know, the need, the, the, the lack of capacity on the adult side and also in the, in the teenage side. So I think, I think that's, that's really important in my head. Uh, and then I, I would say, um, I would say I was, I was very educated, much more educated through the presentation last year about how there are different organizations that really address different pockets of like um, um, communities, like very marginalized communities, um, you know, and I would, I would particularly want to kind of give that give those as a priority just, just because, you know, those are like we did in the last funding cycle, those oftentimes those programs and organizations are not quote unquote mainstream and that we need, you know, like we want to pay attention to it. So I, I would say those are my, you know, four, three or four priority areas. Before we move to Commissioner Jenkins, um, uh, Gildas, do you mind putting in the chat your four, uh, Priority areas, just so we have it. So we have what Christian mentioned, which is in the chat. Uh, Gildas is going to put his in the chat while uh, Commissioner Jenkins uh, joins uh, the conversation. Um, I was just going to kind of talk about an idea of how to, of like working backwards. So, like, I feel like we all have like our priorities, but I feel like maybe we should also consider like. Maybe there's some things that we know, like if we look at our priorities, we know like these things are not, they're just not going to make, not that we don't want it to, but as we've heard a lot of the staff advising, like we're not going to be able to fund anything. A lot of the one-time funding is gone. So sometimes it's easy to work backwards and eliminate some things and then kind of go from the top down. That was just my only opinion. Um, so when you mean go backwards, do you mean what we did when there was less funding? Uh, are you thinking about? Yeah, like if we look at the list and we see like everyone's looking at like we're, we're prioritizing, these are my four priorities. What, what would be the things that 
we would least prioritize based off of the list first. Um, and maybe yeah. kind of eliminating those, um, I don't know, just an idea to kind of work backwards was my thing. But then when Jonathan said, let's look at the list and get to the, see what the people want, then it kind of made me think like, well, that's true too. You know, maybe we need to work backwards from that. So he kind of made me reconsider, but that was my thought before he said that. Just throwing it out there. And I think to Melantha's, Melantha's point, Melantha, you're talking about like the Gabby's um, um, example of that last item of the connecting beyond COVID, that maybe that's not necessary on the list, or at least not in that way. So that may be a thing you say, okay, well, we'll take that off. We'll save it somewhere so we can look at it and maybe figure out a different way um, to do that. But, but let's take that off for now. And if there are any other items that really stand out, you say, you know, maybe we don't prioritize it this time around. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and it might be easier for us to come up with the priorities as we start really kind of looking at what we don't, what we can put aside first. I don't like the terminology I use, but what we can put on the let's visit later list. It's 7.50 p.m. Uh, it's all good about terminology. We're getting through this. Um, so what I do invite people to do is, uh, in addition to mentioning the top priorities, if you have them, is also put in the chat or raising your hand um, what you want to throw aside. It's a little difficult to get both of those at the same time, but just clarify here by top priorities, and these are what I would get rid of. Christian? Uh, Christian, you're on mute. I need to mute myself. Yes, I realize that. I'm sorry. Um, I just had a clarifying question with regards to Commissioner Melantha's suggestion. Are we working off of the 2023-2024 priority list and then going, like, putting things out into the parking lot, so to speak? Is, is that the suggestion? Yeah, so what I was hoping for is that we look at the priority list from before and see if yeah. there's anything we want to add or remove yeah. similar to I what you... Okay. And then building off of that to figure out these are our priorities and this is what we got rid of because as much as we want them, we we we're not gonna be able to support them. Do you guys see your hand? Yep. Uh Sri. Yeah, so I think what I um I wanted to first chime in what what Jonathan said, which I agree, and there's another data driven thing I would if you could get some information, that'd be great, which is to say, if you were to look at the requests that were made for 2023-24 cycle and which, how did they map to the priorities, right? Like in terms of the priorities, which is, that's another piece of data, which is, uh, you know, which you can say in a sense maps to the needs, but it's also another way to look at the needs to say, okay, because we know we got like almost uh, double the amount of requests as what we could fund. You know, close to that is what what happened in 2023-24 cycle. So, uh, did we do? If we did any work to say, hey, based on the kinds of requests we got, these are the priorities on that list that they really you know map to. That would be helpful, just as a data point to refine the list. Um, so that's that's something as a suggestion. I would say that what Gilda said, I pretty much kind of 
align with a fair bit. So I'll just chime in with that in terms of, and that's also what Christian posted about the themes. You know, those themes are pretty good starting points in terms of what I think are top priorities. So I think I definitely am on board with those. Uh, the other one I do want to add is, and that I think in some ways maps to what Gilda said about marginalized populations, which is, I was looking through the equity presentations and one of them talked about is there's a tendency, which I know it's a bias that I think a lot I have for sure, which is, they look at the big programs and fund them because they have a track record of being effective and efficient and, you know, impact and they can give us all the stats and data, but maybe we should also look at smaller programs that are more embedded in these smaller communities and kind of have an explicit priority to say that we want to fund some of these smaller programs as part of what we do and not just focus on the big ones where, you know, the impact is known and measured and stuff like that. So, so that's just something I'd suggest adding kind of as a priority, which to kind of make sure that we have a balance between the big programs and the small programs. So this body did do that last year. So that is a great question. Do we want to prioritize allocating resources towards smaller organizations over more mainstream? That was something this body did decide about halfway through developing the actual recommendations process. Um, is actually pulling a set amount of the budget aside specifically for small organizations. So we don't have to get to that level of detail tonight, but if this group is interested, we can make sure to note that. Uh, I think that we'll, I'll throw it out there for a minute or two, just to see if we can clarify, because I think we have an idea of what the top four priorities are. And uh, after these two minutes, I want to see, what are things we can get rid of uh, at the very bottom um, or or put at a very low priority compared to the other priorities. But um, for the next minute or so, uh, do we have anyone that wants to add to the conversation of how important is it to fund smaller, uh, how much of a priority is it to fund smaller organizations versus larger organizations? I'm raising Gabby. my hand. Uh, so we'll go with Gabby, then uh, Commissioner Jenkins. Um, thank you. Uh, I think maybe I misunderstood and I thought that what we did in last cycle was a given and I am understanding is not. And maybe some um, that was my mistake. But I think then... Uh, we we must or we should consider doing what we did in the previous cycle to be intentional in providing certain amount of dollar or the part of the budget allocated to organizations that are committed to support marginalized and small communities that is that they are mentioned as BIPOC organizations that are serving those communities and maybe that is something that is part of the intention of the priorities, but doesn't exclude the 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 other things. You know, we can be intentional on that and set that as a that as a parameter. But that is that is still included, including body food insecurity, mental health, uh, affordable housing. So for me, one doesn't exclude the others. It's just being intentional about putting or setting aside um, that we have a certain amount of dollars or percentage of the budget, like, like we did in the previous cycle. Um, so we can allocate 
intentionally dollars to those smaller organizations. So what I'm getting from uh, from Christian's comment, what uh, from staff has mentioned and what Gabby has mentioned that uh, it is important to us, uh, the exact mechanism is going to be determined, but it, it looks like uh, instead of making a category of itself, we consider for any of, for all the categories we consider and that um, when we're assessing grants or allocating specific funds towards these grants, that's a strategy we can use. Okay. Um, I've seen multiple lists come through the comments. If you can't leave comments, please feel free to raise, raise your hands. But uh, so far we have affordable housing number one, uh, number two and three, uh, we could possibly vote on, but it's um, behavioral health uh, and food assistance. And and um, Commissioner Jenkins, go ahead. Um, I was just going to follow up um, kind of, well, talking about allocating for smaller businesses. Um, I really agree with what Gabby said about like, I don't, I was thinking like making sure that there's a balance. I don't know if there's like a 2040 balance or like what you said, like making sure like for the small business and a large business. But I also feel like we have to look at the work that the businesses are doing. Like just because you're a small business, you can't qualify for funds if, if helping a larger organization would help the greater good in a way. That was just my only comment on that. But so far, yeah. That's a great point, Melantha. I do want to um, also point out that sometimes we don't have any other programming other than the one who always does it and does it really well, right? So then there isn't really an option like who does, you know, like Hopelink does the food bank, right? We, we rarely get any additional, we may, but we rarely get any additional um, food bank um, requests for funding outside of that. It would be great if we could, and that may be changing, you know, depending on how we're uh, approaching this granting um, and the funding um, moving forward. So um, yes, that's a great point. And like um, Jen was saying, um, there were other additional, and I add, added them into the, the chat, additional um, things that folks um, added to that framework in that, you know, in, in a, theme that went through everything was how do we better support small BIPOC organizations who provide culturally and lingu linguistically appropriate um, and relevant uh, programming for folks. Just a side note, and I know this is, does anyone know of like a food bank that does like, like food that's more like, not just generalized, but more for like different cultures? yes okay. kind of i think we're okay. we're starting to see we're starting to see organizations like um essentials first um providing mm -hmm. very culturally specific food options we do see some programming coming through that provide um gift cards to culturally um specific grocery stores um i think the challenge with some of those were they were really 
based in South King County. So mm -hmm. to serve Kirkland specific folks, it was it it didn't meet that threshold, right? Um, that it would be a challenge for folks to utilize it. But yes, and we may see those programs come through in applications this cycle coming coming up because they didn't apply last year, but they may be applying for that specific need this year. So if food, if food security was like a priority, um, would that just follow under food security then, like cultural food security? I, I would say so, especially with the frame of reference we talked about with um, small organizations if possible and like people that, I guess, I'm trying to frame this correctly, but um, that are from the organizations or within that community, I think that'd be within our, our selection or a grant selection process. All right, cool. So what Thank I'm you. saying, no problem. What I'm seeing from another commissioner, um, I think it, meant, it was meant to be sent to everyone. Um, so affordable housing, basic needs such as food insecurity and behavioral health. And if I have it right, uh, so far, we have the top three priorities, uh, as in affordable housing, I've seen three for three, uh, food, um, excuse me, uh, so food would be number two with two to one, and then being mental health? one to two. Um, do you say it again, Blanca? I said, where is mental health at? Is it, is it? on that at all in the top priorities yeah so absolutely um, i think that's within the behavioral health um mm -hmm. kind of umbrella but we can we can spell it out more specifically too so okay. we could say behavioral and mental health support would that also include the substance stuff correct yes yes um so with that we've seen another couple of comments. So Gabby also has food is number two, same with three, uh, with behavioral health being three. And uh, Gabby did mention a fourth potential top priority is access to health services. And Jonathan concurs with three's list, which is homelessness, affordable housing, basic needs such as food and healthcare. Behavioral health and support is number three. And number four, allocating funds to small organizations serving marginalized populations. Um, I'm hearing a common theme among the commissioners for what the top priorities are. I'm not sure how specific staff need us to be between number two and number three, and we can figure that out tonight. Um, yeah, let's do it. Screw it. Okay, so... Homeless and affordable housing is number one. Um, I'm going to go for basic um, basic needs. So as a person facilitating the conversation, while I'm trying to see if I'm doing this correctly for basic needs, do you want to separate it out as in food? Or I'm starting to hear a couple saying food and health care. And... I'm not quite sure what the commission wants, so I'm trying to figure out how to ask that. Um, but I, my opinion I, is that we should separate them because if you put food and healthcare together, it's a huge category. 
Okay. And suddenly our one priority is now two priorities. And if like that rolls down the hill, like we've got four priorities that are really eight priorities and then we haven't prioritized anything. Got so it. then we're screwed. So I just Agreed. like wanna. <laughs> so I think you were asking the, the question just right. Mm, thank you. So I'm going to ask um, for the second priority, top priority, um, who votes for food? So again, number one is homelessness. It's been unanimous, but the categories I see are food, behavioral health, and healthcare. So this vote is determining if the commission wants food to be number two or not. So uh, raise your hand or uh, let's go with raised hands, uh, Melantha and Chloe, either say yes in the chat or over the phone. But if you're on video, uh, Sri, same with you with the chat if you're off video. But uh, if you want food as priority number two, uh, indicate yes. Quick question. Uh, one Did second. you say um, one, one, food one second. number two close. versus something else? One second. Okay, so we got Gabby, Gildas, Christian, and Jonathan. It's four. So let will answer your question. So um, what I was asking the commission is, number one is uh, affordable housing, addressing homeless needs. And then the question is, do you want food as number two? Uh, if, since I can't see the list, can you say number two verse? Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, so again, homelessness, number one. And then the question is, do you want food as number two? And if the vote was no from the commission, that'd be, oh, do you want behavioral health as number two? Do you want general health access as number two? But I'm looking for if there's a majority that yeah. say no before moving to that process. Agreed. Just so that's five in favor. Numbers. Three. Yeah, just had a question, Jury, about when we say homelessness, do we include affordable housing in that, or are we saying we should split that into two separate things? Because there's an argument, just like you said, for this, for food and healthcare, there's an argument made for homelessness versus affordable housing. Uh, if we want to go to the strict stack, right? Or we can say at this point, we keep them together and we can get to that later, right? Because if for me, there's to go hand in together. hand. Okay, that's what I would say too, but I just want to have that discussion. So uh, I'll throw my vote in for food being number two. That's six. At least I think Chloe is a yes. So that's everyone. And so right now we have homelessness and affordable housing. It's kind of closer together. Uh, food needs are number two. And now we're looking for number three. Uh, for number three, um, the options that I have uh, that I've read is behavioral health, so includes mental health services and like other services like uh, substance help, I believe. Um, do we want that as number three with the other option that I've seen as an uh, access to health care? So do you want uh, behavioral health as number three? Raise your hand or indicate yes in another fashion. So we got Jonathan, yes. Yes. Christian, yes. Melantha, yes. Gildas, yes. Gabby, yes. And three, uh, excuse me, three as a yes. 
Uh, Chloe, would you? Uh, yep, that's a yes. So it looks like behavioral health is number three. And by default, healthcare, well, just to clarify, um, do you want access to healthcare as number four, uh, knowing that we have to wrap up soon? Just double checking. Is there another option that you want to throw out there or, well, yeah, I'll do this. Do you want access to healthcare as number four if we go to no, because we can agree that there's another one, then say no. So yes is for healthcare number four. Uh, Jonathan? Just clarifying about substance abuse. Um, I would, oftentimes behavioral health and substance abuse is, con is connected, but it sounds like we're putting healthcare with substance abuse or are those separate? Because I would vote for substance abuse above healthcare. But if it's yeah. included, then I would. My interpretation was that it was included for number three. Oh, included in three. That How was that, my question. That, that, uh, that, that's what I understand too. Because oh, health for behavioral health? health? Yeah, they go hand in hand. Okay, great. Okay. okay. Also, a follow-up question is in substance abuse isn't with the homelessness. We're doing two different parts for substance abuse. Because I know like with an earlier decision we made, we had clustered and homelessness and substance abuse together mm -hmm. so homelessness being more i think more towards like homeless shelters that was my read as okay well. i know I that we were saying that was... our homeless advocate was saying a lot of the people she deals with that are homeless in kirkland are also there's a huge huge overlap in the two I think what's likely is we'll find an organization that provides homelessness assistance with substance with SUDS help and mental health, and it's usually wrapped up in one, and then it'll become a clear priority for funding, I hope, based off of the fact that it crosses over multiple of our priority areas. I imagine that would be what happens. Okay, and then one last question, and, and I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate here. But when we do have that happen, is there a chance that we overfund some things and miss other options, like other things, because things could be getting in the tri-layer of things? We don't have to answer it now. Maybe it's just some food for thought. So, uh, Gabby, I think that it's going to be a helpful conversation. But um, do you mind just reaching out through the chat just to answer that? Sure. Thank you. Actually, uh, Melanthe, can you see the chat? No, I cannot. I'm just doing everything okay. by listening. Got it. Gabby, go ahead. I don't think we have ever that we like something maybe what maybe what we can do is to balance and that is why we have priority areas because most of what we're talking about here are already within the priority areas that are part of the baseline of the uh, human services commission because in the priority areas we have 
emergency homelessness, homelessness services, that is eviction prevention, emergency financial assistance, behavioral health services, food supplies, things like that. So I think we're talking about the same things that is already covering on that umbrella, one of the pillars of Human Services Commission. So we're just trying to identify what are what are what is in the top of the list. So Gabby, you're you're breaking up a little bit there. Uh, I was going to ask if anyone else wants to add to that as well, or staff to address Melanza's concern. I think one of the challenging parts of this process, and other folks have hit on this, is a lot of the folks that are accessing these services are going to fall within several of the priorities. Right, these are really complex needs that we see and the pandemic has further exasperated that so you could have someone who is unhoused who has a behavioral health diagnosis and also is experiencing and living with a substance use disorder so what i don't want this group to get bogged down in is that level of detail right now and to try to keep it high level recognizing that we're not going to miss programs that are doing that critical work and we can talk through some of those complexities, but that's a little further down the road. Sorry, y'all, I think I missed most of that conversation, <laughs> but I gather, I think, so th this, creating this list isn't gonna eliminate programs right off the bat. You still get to evaluate each one individually, right? So even if they fall outside of these groupings, they're, they're, it's not, doesn't mean that they're, well, we're just not even going to look at it. That's not true. You're going to look, you're going to touch your, your, your eyes are going to be on every single application. So you won't, won't be missing it. And you have the opportunity to advocate for those um, programs that you're like, we must fund this. I mean, you still may not get it, but you have the opportunity to advocate for those programming programs that you know are, critical, right? That maybe no one, and maybe you bring something to the table that someone else be, may, may miss. Um, and you can, you know, individually, you all can help um, in that education piece. Uh, so staff, if you uh, need me to move on, we, we can. Uh, but that being said, just let me give me a heads up if we need to roll things over. But I want to address this. So we didn't actually vote on the healthcare priority. What I want to get a, a vote on is say yes if you want uh, funding for BIPOC communities or uh, organizations that specialize in that area as a priority itself or no, and the no would be more towards it would just be part of it would be part of the overall uh grant funding process when we're deciding on each grant um it would be a consideration uh three so did we vote on the smaller org or marginalized populations thing did we is that on our list or not so that's i'm not clear because i didn't if see it that. is on well um so Sorry, I apologize for interrupting. So I did see it a few times, but then I also saw it as a just consider it for 
every other priority. So instead of having its own category, it'd be for every grant we consider. And that's what I was uh, saying that I wanted clarification for. The reason I was saying is for me, what you had as BIPOC before feels like, you know, that's like a specific population. And this is something like we're saying, marginalized populations and smaller orgs kind of seems to cover that in a more general way. And so that was what I was thinking, you know, we should talk about whether that's a priority on our list. Uh, you know, we, we got the top four, I think. We went through the top four, if I remember right, based on the... We have it. So we didn't clarify if the fourth one was access to healthcare. Oh, we haven't can I, done that. Can I, can I just interject really quick? So I just want to be clear that when we say BIPOC and we say marginalized, often, like everything else, those overlap, right? So... Um, I, and I, and sometimes we use those interchangeably and, and, and that's problematic sometimes. And, and, but I think we're getting at the same thing. Um, Gabby, to your point of setting aside a percentage, I think we need to have a bigger conversation about that. And, and that will be coming up actually as part of another conversation in the coming months. But I think that creates challenges. If we don't know what the applications are and we specify and we identify, identify a chunk or a percentage of what we're already getting to this thing, we may not fulfill that, right? So, so I think being open and flexible about when those programs come up that are by and for um, those communities that we're saying, okay, this is a, a priority that we have. This is kind of an, a, an overarching theme for what we're looking for in these um, applications, and then we think about it that way. But that's a conversation we can have later, right? This this conversation is a lot more a, a lot more broad and specific. Broad, broad and specific. That makes no sense. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Troy. Um, yeah, I think of the the buckets of like homelessness, affordable housing, food insecurity, behavioral health. Those are buckets. And unfortunately, BIPOC community, you know, <laughs> they go across all, all the buckets. So um, it's not like we would have a separate bucket for BIPOC and saying we're going to have that make that a priority. I think I think we want to consider it as part, you know, maybe say it's a it's it, there may be some way to weave it in there in the language to say that we are going to be intentional about looking at the impact because we know that those communities that are historically underestimated or marginalized are um, affected more uh, deeply and more frequently at, at higher levels of, uh, of, of rather at higher levels of risk than, than others. Um, I'd love also, so that's that thought. The second thought is that I think we should consider whether BIPOC is the term we want to use. That's a larger conversation um, because for, there's a lot of reasons for it. I, I don't hear it being used as frequently any longer. Um, and um, I'd, I'd love to see us using like historically marginalized or oppressed or something like that. But it's, I just think BIPOC leaves out some folks or minimizes some folks. Um, you might, we might want to do some reading into that as a group um, and learning what's the best language there. Let's get us all on the same page. Anyway, that, that's my second thought. I think uh, we're in agreement that the use of the phrase um, or word BIPOC, um, we need to be uh, aware and cognizant about it. Uh, I know personally when I say it, I mean marginalized, uh, historically marginalized 
population. And thank you for asking the clarifying questions about that. Um, I'm going to ask really quickly, though, do we want healthcare as the number four priority? And if so, please say yes or indicate yes. I just feel like I think that's going to be challenging. Sorry, go ahead. I just feel like it's something that instead of making it like I feel like it should be a priority to just make sure that when we're looking at the organization, I don't know. I feel like it kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like just if when we're looking at the categories, we just make sure that we look like look for those organizations, look for them. Um, Look for different organizations that are serving groups that are doing things a little bit different than what's already being done. Um, so uh, I was uh, just look for it. But that's, and that's, like and that's, that's what we'll all have that opportunity. Yeah. Melantha, you'll have that opportunity. I think that is, is it's a great point. And I think they had lots of conversation about this the last cycle. Um, and that's a good point to keep bringing up. Um, and I think it goes beyond this list right now, though, just to get started. This is getting started. We're not even at the I mean, this is the, the tippy top of it. So let's not get too, you know, discouraged in this first conversation. Um, but it does show I think it's a great example of how got lots of different ideas. Sorry. I just posted this comment, so let's quickly say, I think there are two kinds of priorities. There is the what we invest in, which is kind of the buckets that Jonathan was mentioning, the healthcare, affordable housing, you know, homelessness, and there is the how. And I feel like the how is kind of like what Gabby was talking about, or we had Gildas talk about it before, or I was talking about smaller orgs. We're all calling it in different ways, right? But I think there is a how, which also needs to be an explicit priority in terms of because I think because that I think talks about that's where things like equity and other things come into play. Is more explicit about those priorities. So I feel like we need to have both. Uh, so that's just a thought for us to do. And I I know we're out of time, but just a thought to say I think what I feel like we accomplished today is the what priorities. I feel like we need more discussion of the how priorities. That's that's my two cents. I think we all agree, and I think we all agree it's getting late. Um... Staff, do you want us to go through the calendar really quickly before we go through some quick reports? Yeah, I can do a quick high level. And I think just circling back to some of the comments around data, what we can do is draft what we heard from the conversation tonight and then do kind of um, a comparison of what the HopeLink needs assessment identified as some of the top needs for residents in the region. And we can also pull the data of within kind of the five goal area buckets, the amount of funding that was requested from previous cycles, because we did that for the commission last cycle around. So we can easily pull that and put that in the packet for next month. So folks can take a look at that. But I can tell you that these are in alignment with where we saw the highest number of funding requests and where the commission invested the highest amounts for the last cycle. So. I, 
I would also encourage folks to look at that dashboard because that will give you an idea. One of the things that I do want to add as far as what we're talking about, and Jonathan, I'm going to say BIPOC because that's how I identify. And I know a lot of folks identify that way, but I will also include folks who are marginalized and, and historically marginalized in that as well. Um, but I would say those very specific organizations and agencies, we see fewer just that just is how it's been. It may be different this cycle, but we see fewer applications coming from those um, specific organizations that are by and for um, and programming that is specific. So in, in the in the grand scheme of things, there are fewer. So I will say that that, you know, our hope is that we'll see more, you know, every every cycle and and that just hasn't like it, it hasn't um exponentially grown um but it's getting there it's getting more and more every year and and you'll see in the percentages of of programming that we're funding um it really breaks it down um but gabby before uh, before we go to really quickly uh jen did you mention everything you wanted to mention about um, the remainder of the business, like calendar and all that. We can move it to the next meeting. First Sounds time. good. Abby? It's not actually. Can I say? Oh, well, I don't know if uh, you can uh, hear me, but I think it's very great to have these priorities, but I think we need to consider that they are not all the priorities, like domestic violence, like legal advice or legal support to several things. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Or do you want me to type it? Okay. Um, so um, I am I am talking and I know it's very important to have the data. Um, it's, it's not in the data. It's what I hear from people in a day-to-day -day basis. You know, people really asking for help for domestic violence and all, all the shelters are to capacity. So, uh, and, and, and and those women are also not only looking for domestic violence uh, escape uh, as far as housing, but also for legal support. And I say women because most women, that most of, of the, the, the people that are um, victims of domestic violence are women. So uh, I think it's very important for us to have priorities, but I also think we need to see, again, the pillars of the Human Services Commission and domestic violence and legal support is also part of that. So even though we have top priorities, we, I think we should not forget what, what is building those pillars. Yeah, so Thank in the... Siri says, great point, Gabby. Domestic violence, sexual assault, legal assistance can't be ignored. Do we have any commission? Does that go with, I was assuming that that went with like housing stability. And so, because that's, I guess it could be its own category, but that's just what I was assuming. I thought that that was with that. We have so we're gonna. Few, oh. Sorry, I'm just gonna nip this in the butt. We have very few providers that provide legal assistance and domestic violence support, so those programs are always prioritized. So, kind of talking about walking the line of 
investing in mainstream organizations, that's where you'll tend to see some of those higher concentrations because there's just not as many providers offering those services. So once we're all knee deep in applications, you'll start to see that. Um, so don't worry about those being left off the list because those are priorities and that is one of the goal areas that we're expected to report out on. Any commissioner reports? Great. Staff reports. Uh, Jen, do you want me to read that? Okay, so I have one from Amanda who wasn't able to be with us today. Sorry, everything got closed up at that when my computer shut down. So I am bringing that up right now. Sorry about that. Okay, so from Amanda, this report is to inform the Human Services Commission of the city's effort during severe cold temperatures during inclement weather. When temperatures drop within freezing range, the city activates resources to ensure the safety of our unhoused residents. Between January 10th through January 16th, emergency hotel vouchers were activated and distributed by the following city staff, homeless outreach coordinator, police, fire and mobile integrated health or MIH, and the racer program. Local shelters and the safe parking program were notified of the voucher activation and access points in the event they reached capacity. They were able to contact the homeless outreach coordinator during business hours um, or the non-emergency number after hours. During the activation period, eight emergency hotel vouchers were distributed, bringing in six adults and two children out of the cold. Also during the activation period, human services staff participated in daily regional calls to receive updates on local shelters, capacity, and additional resources available like extended day center hours. Those updates were relayed to the rest of the outreach staff distributing vouchers. In addition to the emergency vouchers being activated, the Peter Kirk Center and North Kirkland Community Center served as warming centers during business hours, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The end. If you have any additional questions, we're happy to pass those along to Amanda. You can email them directly to me or to Amanda. Do we have a motion to adjourn? Motion. Motion right. second. Second. See you next month. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Good to see y'all.